Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Street gospel, light of the temple Saw a swing, killer live from the ghetto The hood messenger, let him know hell's close Black burial, the devil in a black cloak Yo, what is up? Welcome to the Street Gospel Podcast I'm your host, Dave One And this is episode number... Yo, Cam, what episode is this? 81 Episode 81 uh, If you checked out our last episode, we had Adrian Harris uh, gospel cyclist on Instagram definitely was a good story, positive story, uh, representing Woodier, which I didn't even plan it like this, but we got somebody else from Woodier here today. And, uh, I guess, you know, Woodier has either totally bad people or totally good people or bad people that turn good. How about that? Yeah. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But uh, definitely a good episode to check out, uh, Adrian Harris. And then, like always, everybody, check it out. Please subscribe. Go to YouTube. Check out Street Gospel Podcast, Street Gospel TV. Go on there. Subscribe to us. We'd appreciate it. Um, We've gained a ton of followers on Instagram. We're just trying to get those followers to get on YouTube, get on Spotify, and subscribe to the channel. Uh, Do that. And if you hear something that you like, something you think would uh, help somebody else, send that podcast to them, man. Uh, we'd appreciate that. Sharing is uh, caring, and we uh, we love that. So uh, check out the podcast, Street Gospel Podcast, on Instagram, on YouTube, on Spotify, on every podcast platform. But today, we got a, a, a guest here, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited to have this guest. We are related now. Um, it's, it's, it's just weird. You just start picking up family left and right. But we're related. Uh, cousins. You know what I mean? Uh, her husband was on the show. I mean, we've only had husband and wife once. Uh, Pastor Adam, Sister Carrie, and then uh, Champ and his wife he is here today. She is a believer. She's a mother, a wife to Champ. God bless her, man. God bless her. She's a uh, a business owner, a hairdresser, uh, uh, a woman of God is what Champ has told me. So, uh, you know, that's still debatable. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I want to welcome to the show, uh, Nicole Calvary. Hi. 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 How do you how do you like that last name? It's uh, it's great. It's great, huh? Yeah. I, I mean, people probably still say because that's not like that's not like a Mexican last name, even though you know our family is is probably a good mix of a lot of different people, right? But um, you know, we relate more. We're, we're more Mexican, but when you say Nicole Calvary, they're probably thinking like 
what is your husband like? Is he Indian or what? What is your husband? Is white? Because Calvary's not a popular last name, but it's really not a popular Mexican last name. For sure. So, but do you like it? I love it. It kind of flows good. Nicole Calvary. I love it. Yeah. It, it goes good, right? Is it better than your last last name? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Said, yeah. Anything was better than that. Anything was better than that? Okay. <laughs> That's good. So, uh, thanks for coming. Of course. Thanks I, for having me. I mean, so I heard that uh, you, you, so this is the thing. I was looking for guests. I'm always on the lookout for guests. And um, one day I was like, hey. What about Champ's wife? What about Nicole? I'm not going to, I don't always call you Champ's wife. I do call you Nicole because I don't think that. But I was like, what about Nicole? And after I told Melissa and I was like, hey, what about Nicole? And she's like, my sister? Because her sister named Nicole. Uh. I said, no, I don't want to hear Nicole's story. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we already know that story. But I was like, what? Uh, I go, Champ's wife. I go, she goes, yeah, that'll be good. So uh, I asked, I, I asked Champ. So I did the right thing. I'm going to ask Champ first. Hey, Champ, what do you think? He's like, yeah, right away. I go, yeah, like she could be on. And he's like, yeah. I go, okay, I'm going to ask her. So then I asked you and you said yes. And we're here. Were you were you <laughs> nervous about maybe maybe doing a podcast? Yeah, I'm nervous right now. Well, why are you nervous? Let's just put it out there. Um, I don't know. I guess like that I've never really shared my full testimony. Um. And I don't know, I guess just the setting in general, just not knowing the unknown. The unknown. Yeah. I tell people all the time they come in here, they, they, they are, they are, it, but the crazy thing is they get here. I think getting here is like 90% of the, of the, of the fight, right? It's, it's like, show, it's like showing up to church. I tell people when you're there, you're, you're already there. Like it's like the gym too, right? When you're at the gym, okay, I already, I already made it. The hardest part's done. Yep. I got dressed. I drove over there. I'm in the gym. I might as well work out now. So this is kind of like it's kind of like that, right? You, you, the hardest part was driving. You guys got in a lot of traffic today. <laughs> is driving here, thinking about it, probably talking to Champ about it on the way up here, and and going back and forth and saying, oh, "Man, I don't know if this was a great idea," and then coming here. But when you finally get here, it's it's like the easiest part. Yeah. So I will agree with that. Sure. So where where did you grow up at? Um, South Woodier. South Woodier. Born and raised. Yes. Well, born and raised in Woodier. So. Did you come at the at the tail end when like the white people were already moving out, or were they still sticking around a little bit? Um, it was me or my house, um, the corner house, and then one other house in that whole neighborhood that was white. And then by the time I was maybe seven or eight, they were gone. So pretty much just me and my mom. Um, and I was always the only white girl in school, pretty much. There might have been one or two other ones, but yeah. So they were already long gone. Yeah, because I remember when we used to go to uh, Monka Woody's house and and Auntie Apples, and and Champ was there, and and it's a nice block. What was what was that street, Champ? Glen Street, man. And I was like, man, this is, like, this is like white people live over here. And they were over there all rowdy living on that street. And <laughs> I was like, they don't belong here on the street. But it's, it was a nice it was a nice block back then. I don't know how it is now. It's probably not as great, but uh, it was it was nice. So South Whittier, you grew up, and it, it's just you and your mom, no siblings. No siblings. So you're an only child. I'm an only child. Like, yeah. like your son. Like my son, yes. What, what, like, what was that like growing up as a, as an only kid? Was uh, you, were you spoiled? What, what was the deal there? It was hard. Um, my so my dad left when I was four, um, and 
I just always felt different because all of my friends came from a two parent household mm-hmm. with siblings. Um, so it was very different. I was spoiled by my grandma, not so much my mom. Um, my mom, obviously, single mom, she was working at Ralph's, so not making tons of money. Um, just trying to make ends meet. But I think my grandma would try to, um, like, go overboard to kind of, you know. Make up. Yeah, make up for my dad not being there. Did you know your dad at all? Or? Um, no. So I remember, it's crazy because when I look back, like, at four years old, you know, you don't really remember much. Right. But I do remember the last day that I saw him, um, like, vividly. If I could draw, I would draw it out. Um And at the time, I didn't realize that that would actually be the last time that I would see him. Um, But um, when I got older, my mom told me, so he he hurt his back at work, got addicted to drugs. She, after years of kind of dealing with it, basically gave him an ultimatum. They're driving to rehab. She basically told him, go to rehab or get your stuff and get out. So they're driving to rehab, and at a stoplight, he opens the door and was like, I'm not going. Mm. So she told him, pack your stuff and get out. So he left, um, and one of the last times, the time that I remember, was Father's Day. He had shown up at the house to see me, and he was drunk. And I remember my mom, like, blocking me at the door, not letting me leave to, like, run out to say hi to him because she realized he was drunk. Um And finally, when she let me out, I remember just running to him and he like kneeled down on the grass and he was hugging me and I, I felt like weird. It didn't feel right. Um, and then he left and that was the last time I ever saw him Wow. until later on in life, I looked for him, but yeah, growing up my, my whole childhood, he wasn't there. He, so he basically left and never came back. Never. I never got a Christmas card, a birthday card, nothing from him. Man. Yeah. I I, I mean, in. I would say now, maybe, I don't know how old you are, but I'm not going to ask. But I would say now you run into more single-parent households probably more than ever yeah. in, in in America, I guess. But growing up, single-parent household, even 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 20 years ago, maybe, you know, 25 years ago, it was kind of like unheard of. And in, in decent areas where they had homes and people owned their homes, you, you would see two-parent households. To so grow up with one parent it it's tough i mean how how tough was it for you growing up i mean as a kid and just seeing and and probably wanting a two parent household yeah it was hard i struggled um and it seemed like my life kind of took a turn overnight so he left um my mom at the time was only working part time she had to begin working full time which meant I had to go to a babysitter. So my mom would go to work early in the morning. She would wake me up at like 4.30 in the morning, drop me off at the babysitter. Then I would sleep for like an extra hour and a half at the babysitter. And then the babysitter would take me with her kids to school. Um, I had to switch school, the school that I was supposed to go to, to stay with the babysitter's kids because my mom couldn't take me. Um, So it was a lot. It was a lot. I spent most of my childhood either at the babysitter's house or my grandma's. and the time that I was at home, it was either early in the morning or at night to go to bed. Um, I didn't really spend, I don't have a lot of memories in my in my house. You know, most of my childhood memories are in other people's houses. Um, but I remember always feeling um, like kind of left out, like not a part of because like that I didn't have my dad. I didn't have siblings. I didn't have that normal structure of 
being at home and having family dinners and taking family vacations. Like I didn't have that, you know? So, um, I started struggling from a really young age, really, really young age. It's crazy because I think there's, you can grow up, like I said, you can grow up now and, and, and not miss that. You know, I've had people in here and they're like, I didn't know what I, I didn't know what, what, uh, 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 two-parent household look like because my friends didn't have that either so we we all grew up the same but when you grow up and you see things and you see like oh this is the way it's supposed to be or or they would say i know like tv they would watch tv and say a mom and dad dad works mom stays home cooks and and they would see that and say oh that's the way it's supposed to be but sometimes you you grew up and like guys are like well this is just normal like everybody grew up this way but it kind of sucks when you can see like no, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Like, yeah. I, I'm I'm the one that's different, right? Yeah, yeah. I always felt like that, even in school. You know, even in school, a lot of my friends or siblings were there with them in school, um, and I just I didn't have that. And um, you know, my mom missed almost all of my award ceremonies, all my sports banquets, my my games. My mom was hardly ever there. You know, and I remember always like that feeling left out after a game, you know, that's the first thing you do is go to the crowd and go to your parents. And, um, my mom was rarely there. So just from home life to school life to friends, I just always felt like I was never, um, I never fit in. I never fit in. And then you're, and then you're white. And then I'm white (laughs) in an all Mexican neighborhood. (laughs) So, so what was, did you have anything? Did you find anything that you gravitated to, to try to fit in? Or did you, were you one of these kids that tried everything to fit in? Um, I think I really shied away more than anything, especially like elementary, middle school, um, high school. I kind of started coming out of my shell a little bit, but you were shy. Yeah, I was super shy. Really? Super shy. Yeah. Um, and my best. I only, I only say that because you're outgoing now. It's like, yeah. it's, it seems like it's like, no, she's not that shy. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't guess that. Oh, yeah. I would, um, if you didn't talk to me, I was quiet. Like, I, there was no cracking me. Um, but my, so my best friend, the way that I met her, her mom babysat me basically my whole life. Um, so my dad leaves, my mom gets a roommate to help pay the mortgage. Her daughter goes to this babysitter. So my mom's like, you know, pretty much, like I said, overnight, I got to find somebody. So I start going to her. Well, um, she's the mom is one of 12 siblings, huge Hispanic family. Oh. Well, you put me who has, you know, five people in my whole family and I'm an only child <laughs> in that big family. And it was like I kind of had to come out of my shell a little bit. So that was the only time that I ever really talked or I would ever really do anything was with them because I was forced to, you know, like yeah. Mexican family, there's no sitting in the corner by yourself being quiet. <laughs> like they didn't let you, you know. So um, I was great, grateful for that for sure. To have a second, like a secondary family a yeah. little bit. Yeah. And and what what type of mother did you have? I know she worked a lot and and to provide, and I know you you gave a pretty good speech about her at your guys' wedding and yeah. and and, and we're really she seemed like a really sweet woman. Yeah, yeah, I love my mom. Um, obviously, just like anybody, we've had our ups and downs, of course. But um, she, one thing about my mom is she never said anything bad to me about my dad. She, I never saw my mom fold. She never cried. She never told me she was struggling. I never went without, you know, and even though physically she wasn't there, I knew at the end of the day when I was going home, my mom was there, 
you know, like my mom was my backbone. Um, and she still is to this day, you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm grateful. Like, even though I didn't have my dad, I thank God every day that I had my mom, you know, because if I had a a crappy mom or let's say that the circumstances were, were switched, I don't know how I would have ended up, you know? So, but I love my mom. She's the best. So did it, where did it go wrong for you? Cause word on the, str- no, no, <laughs> word, <laughs> word on the street. No, I'm just kidding. But that, 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 you know, you had some ups and downs there. Yeah. And it seemed like you had a good, even though your mom worked, even though your father left, you still had some good structure there. Yeah. Yeah, I did. And my grandma played a big part in that too. She was a school teacher. So she made sure I stayed in line with my classwork and stuff. Um, cause I, cause I, I get people in here and they're, they're, I mean, to be honest, their whole life was rough. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, okay, I see why you went left, you know, but what yeah. was it for you? Um, I think just, it started obviously with my dad leaving, right. And just feeling that abandonment, um, and never really knowing how to express it. So just a lot of repressed emotion. Um, and again, good and bad, but my mom never really talked to me about it. Right. So I kind of grew up thinking it was me. Like he's not here because of me. I'm not worthy of being loved. Right. All my friends have their dads. I'm not worthy of that. Um, my friends, you know, they have siblings and they have a big family and I don't have that cause I'm not worthy of that. So at a young age, I learned to feed myself that, um, I think that's, that's, that's big because yeah. I think you don't really, I think you don't really think about that, you know, at, at the time, maybe like years later, you're just thinking like, that's just the way it was. I, 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 I'm not worthy. And then I think it's hard for parents to talk to their kids about that too and really say, hey, it's not your fault. Yeah. Because they just want to – I think they just work in trying to get past it too, right? 100%. And I – I mean, obviously, there's so much to share, but I was faced with that with my son, with his dad. Um, and so I kind of went about it differently than my mom. And I don't blame my mom now, but for years I did. I felt like you should have told me why he wasn't here. You know what I mean? Um, I felt like it would have saved me a lot of heartache. Um, but it is what it is, you know? Do you think if, if she would have shared with you, hey, this is why he left, this is what happened, would you have been able to really fathom that? Let's say a, as a teen or something like that. Um, oh, it would have helped you a little bit understand? I think so. Um, yes and no, because by the time I did find out, it was like I had already been telling myself for so many years the opposite. So then I didn't really know how to navigate through that. Like, well, wait a minute. You know what I mean? Um, and then I would like, okay, he's not here because he's a drug addict. He's not here because he's unwell, right? Um, and then later on as a late teen, I paid money and found him. And, you know, he flies out here and it's a whole ordeal. And that's ultimately what led to my spiraling out of control. Um, what, what happened? So prior to that, um, in high school, I started drinking and stuff, obviously. After that, in college, again, drinking, drinking, pot, cocaine, that kind of stuff. Um, just experiment. Yeah, just, party. just, just partying, right? Just being a young being teenager, a young, young adult. Person. Yeah. Um, and then at this point I was living in Huntington beach with my boyfriend at the time. Um, I was working for my uncle 
And I remember just having this like burning curiosity of like, where is my dad? Right. I think it was like 19. Are you, are you wanting to find him to get answers or just to see who he was? Both. Okay. I think it was a little bit of both because, um, you know, again, my whole life I'm telling myself one thing, my mom saying this, my uncle who actually used drugs with my dad, um, confirmed what my mom is saying. So just really wanting answers from the source itself. Um, so I was at work one day, I went on people finders, I paid 50 bucks and I mean, a stack full of papers was printing out of just every address, every phone number, every person that was ever associated with him. Wow. And so I remember just being overwhelmed and I'm looking at this paperwork and I literally just like random picked a number on there and there was tons of numbers. So I pick a number, I call it, this lady answers and she's like, oh, I know who you are. Um, Your dad is my son-in-law. He's at work. I'll have him call you when he gets home. I'm like, okay. So he calls me. Long story short, after, you know, a couple weeks of talking, he ends up flying out here. He was living in Utah. He, um, so I was four when he left. Um, by the time I was six, he had remarried and had twins. Um, and I remember sitting there. We were in Huntington Beach by the pier. And I remember him sitting there and kind of blaming my mom for everything, never owning up to his drug use, saying like, oh, I'm an alcoholic, but I never had a drug problem. Half, you know, keep in mind, half of his mouth is that his teeth are missing. Mm. Um, So I remember just sitting there even more confused now because I'm like, what the heck? Like, why fly all the way out here and lie and blame my mom? And then and then almost regretting it now. Yeah. And then it really hit me where. I'm like, so two years after you leave, you remarry, you have these kids, you have a job, you have a home, you're providing, you're there physically and obviously financially, I can't say emotionally because I don't know what kind of dad he was to them. But you could, you, you can't take care of me, but you could take care of these twins. Yes. And obviously being, you know, a young adult, not having the maturity to even kind of work through that. It sent me in a tailspin. Um, And I remember it was like a week or two after that. um, The boyfriend that I was living with, I found out he cheated on me. So I felt like those two things, that heartache that I was feeling for the first time really in my life, it just, I mean, I went off the deep end, you know. So at that point I was in cosmetology school. I was drinking a lot. That's all we would do, right? You go out after school, we would drink in class. Damn, Um, jacked up haircuts. (laughs) Yeah all bad <laughs> um but yeah i remember just i think i think most people don't understand i i, I don't you know i understand that a, a death of a parent right i i think but to not have a parent it's almost like they died yeah right it's yeah. almost like the, you you they're dead yeah i mean and and to not to see them and hopefully hoping to get some answers or some closure and it, it to make it worse is is compounding the issue totally right? i mean it just it just makes the issue 10 times worse because now you don't have the answers you were you were looking for at least you don't have no closure and now you're probably more pissed off than ever like what why did you come over here and yeah and, right i remember being full of um just a lot of anger i had a lot of anger um 
and a lot of anger with myself too. Like, why did you even do that? You know, it was like ripping the bandaid off of an old wound and it's just wide open and he's just piling more stuff into it, you know? Um, but yeah, that was really the turning point for me. Um, I, like I said, I was partying a lot in cosmetology school. Um, this all happened. I want to say around like in the summertime, like August, September, and then that October, I was at a party for one of the girls from my cosmetology school, and I was jacked up. I mean, I was doing coke, I was drinking. And do you um, just not care? I didn't care. I didn't care, and um, it was like, you know, all bets were off at that point. I just, I, I didn't have anything to lose, really. So, I was at a party, and um, I remember just being so out of control and like spinning, just spinning all around. And, um, that was the first time that I was ever raped was at that party. Um, so I felt like all of those events happening kind of back to back, it put me in a really messed up place. Um, I suffered from an eating disorder for at this point, probably eight years or so. Um, I had already been in rehab for it once, so I was just drinking, um, throwing up, just anything to not feel what I was feeling inside, Um, and then I'm putting myself in situations where I'm ultimately causing myself more harm, Mm. and so then that comes the bigger spiral, you know, it's like all these things are already happening, and then I'm putting myself here and more things are happening. So then I keep going to these places. What it, What is it that, that, what is that? I mean, I, 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 for everybody out there, it's hard to, like people say like, why don't you just stop doing drugs? Why don't you get help? You know, well, you know, you, you, you got sexually assaulted, you know, what's your fault? Mm-hmm. I mean, what is the reality for everybody that, that that says that out there? It's not that easy, right? It's not that. No. It's not like I wanted that in my life. It's I, I I know I was making poor decisions, but I I mean, people think it's just easy spiral to unspiral out of, right? Yeah, and it's actually the opposite because I look back and, like I said, it became like a snowball. So one little event would happen, and then another little event, and another. You know, and pretty soon it's this huge thing. And you feel like you can't escape it, like you're trapped, you know. And ultimately, it was like I'm being um, betrayed by every man that I encounter, including my own father, you know. So at this point, I'm full of rage. I hate men. I hate myself at this point. Um, Just spiraling like that, just spiraling. And then I remember um, I was at a bar one night in Anaheim, and I met up with one of my girlfriends, I wasn't even 21 yet, but they would let us in there. And there was this guy there, and uh, he started, you know, flirting with me and whatever. And so he was a a bouncer at another bar down the street. And so we all kind of started going there, here here and there. And then um, it was New Year's Eve that year, which I don't even remember. I want to say 06, somewhere around there. Um, we had gone out and after that we went to a trailer park at one of his friend's house at this point, it's like three in the morning and I'm drunk. They're passing around a pipe. I don't even ask what it is. I just start smoking it. Right. Well, it was meth and I had no clue. 
And when people tell you that is the devil's drug, that is the devil's drug. Mm. Like, I had no clue what it was. I had no clue what it was going to do to me. Everybody was doing it. I was already jacked up. Give it to me, you know, and I smoked it. And from that point forward, for like three years, I was addicted on the streets, um, in cars, doing drive-bys with different gang members, um, in and out of motel rooms. I mean, I lost everything, you know, because of that one night and because I never dealt with my abandonment issues with my dad and all the things that led up to that. It was like, it was just on, you know, um, and I mean, so much happened over that time. Somebody's described meth to me that you do it the first time and every time after that, you're trying to get to that high again, Mm -hmm. but you never get there again. No. And I remember I, the first time I smoked it, obviously. And then I don't know, I want to say for maybe three, four months, I would just smoke it. And my ex at the time, um, he, he would do meth and heroin. And so he would inject himself in his neck or have me inject him. And, um, I remember one day he was like, do you want to slam it? And I'm like, okay, you know, again, I'm one of those, like, just whatever's going to do the job, do it, you know? And so he injected me and that high in itself is something that I've never experienced. And I was constantly chasing that high. Once you do that and then you go back to smoking, it's like, what is this? You know what I mean? Um, But it's weird because in that, even though you're around other people that are smoking it or whatever, the only time you could really like inject it is with another person doing that. Like it wasn't like you show up at a party with your syringe, you know, like everybody passes a pipe. So you do, you know, you smoke the pipe. But um, I remember that first time and just constantly chasing that, you know, that, that high. Oof. So you're, you're, you start getting high and that's taking you to a whole nother level. Are you a functioning drug addict? No, you're just, no, I don't. I have such a hard time with that. Like even with my husband, when he tells me stories, I'm like, how did you go to work like that? Yeah. Because he was totally opposite. He's, he's working, (laughs) paying bills, doing his thing. And, and I didn't even know. I'm, I'm thinking I'm seeing him, you know, and Hey, cause you're still working. Yeah. Good. Okay. He must be doing good. (laughs) You know, he's still working. I know he's partying, but he's still working. So he must be fine. But when he tells me the stories too, I'm like, uh, how are you doing that? Yeah. Yeah. I, I cannot relate to that at all. Um, like I said, that first night that I smoked in that trailer park from that day forward, I, I mean, little by little, I lost everything. I didn't go to work after that. Um, I was literally on the streets, motel to motel. And what is your mother saying now and your grandmother? What are they, are they telling you anything? Are they seeing this? Are you kind of keeping it on the, on the low away from them? Well, my mom knew, um, obviously she caught on it at some point. Um, and it got so bad. Like I would break into her house when she was at work and I would take stuff. I would take her money. I would take her jewelry. I would take some of my stuff. So you were, you were down there. I was, yeah, I was, I was bad. And, um, it got to a point, you know, further on where she changed the windows. She bolted the garage. Um, and she told me like, don't come back to my house until you're ready to get help. Um, so I stayed away, but it got so bad I mean, there's just so much that happened over the years, but it got so bad to the point where um, I was in Watts 
Again, <sighs> white girl, right? Bleach blonde hair in Watts. Oh um, and at that point, I was really bad, really, really bad. And so two weeks had gone by where she hadn't heard from me, hadn't seen for, seen me. And so she filed a missing persons report with Whittier PD. And when I finally got clean and she told me that, and then obviously now being a mother, like that breaks me, like thinking you don't know whether your kid's alive or dead in prison, held up in some, you know what I mean? She had no clue where I was. And for two weeks, like I can't even imagine that what she went through. After going through what she she went through with your dad and seeing that, and and, and it's got to be like what, yeah, what's going on? Yeah. So I, uh, I and how old are you during this time? Um, I it was from the time I was like twenty until twenty four, twenty three, twenty four when I got clean. So you were still. F- Fairly young. Yeah, yeah. And I thank God for that. You know what I mean? I thank God for that. Um, and looking back in retrospect, in retrospect, like even though it was only a few years, like when you're talking about that life, like it, it's, there's a whole nother world out there. You know what I mean? That's so evil and second to second, like you don't know what's going to happen, you know? And I mean, I've had guns to my head. I've been raped. I've been beat. I've been, I mean, the whole nine yards, you know, everything you could think of, I've pretty much gone through on the streets, you know, and um, making it out of that and being where I'm at now, that's just proof of God's grace, you know, Um, because in it of myself, I couldn't ever stop. I remember trying so hard, like, okay, I'm just, I'm not going to get high today. I'm not going to get high today or be on like a bender for five days and like finally waking up like, okay, today I'm not going to get high. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. What, what, what is being on a bender? What was that for you? Um, I brushed my teeth a lot. So that's a big (laughs) one. A lot of people are like, I don't understand. Like, how were you a tweaker, but you still have all your teeth. I would like brush my teeth a lot, put makeup on, be up literally for five days because I would slam it. Five days. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just crazy, you know, and it just depended. Like when I first started out with, um, my, the guy that originally got me hooked on it, um, he was from Stanton, so we spent a lot of time in Anaheim, that whole area. And then once he got busted, he was a two-striker. So when he got busted, then I just kind of shifted my my circle, you know what I mean? And I just moved to a different group of, of tweakers. And then I was in La Habra, Whittier area. And then from there, I ended up in Watts. And then after Watts, I was back in Whittier. Um, and then that's ultimately from there when I got clean. How much was your habit per day? Oh, God, I don't even know. And how do you afford that? I, any way possible? Yeah, any way possible. At the When I first started, my that guy that I was with, he, like I said, he was a, a bouncer at a bar. And so he would steal money from that bar left and right. He would have the girls pay him instead of the owner. Um, just scandalous, wow. you know. Um, and then, then at that point, when I first started, I was on unemployment. Um but yeah, just stealing stuff, selling stuff, the whole nine yards. And you're doing drive-bys? Yeah. Well, not me, but I was in the car. Yeah. How do you get mixed up with that? Different neighborhoods. <laughs> Different neighborhoods. Yeah. It was uh, pretty crazy. Like I said, when I look back, I'm like, I if 
God's hand was not on me, I don't, I don't know what else, you know, because the situations that I was in is, it's just crazy. It's crazy. And what, and then where was the change for you when you finally said, this has got to stop? I, um, it's crazy. I was literally two blocks away from my mom's house, which my whole time doing drugs, I was never really near my mom's house, right? For multiple reasons. Um, but my, the last dealer that I was getting from was two blocks from there. I had been in that garage, God, for like two weeks. At this point I had no car, I had nothing. I had blisters all over my feet. I couldn't even put my shoes on because I had blisters. Um, and I remember I was the only girl in that garage surrounded by gang members. And I remember sitting there and I had my headphones on and I was listening to Pink and that song Sober. She had just released it, right? And so I'm sitting there on this folding chair in this garage. And I just broke out in tears. And I didn't grow up in church, right? I, The first time I ever even knew who God was, my uncle had got out of jail. Um, And so I remember in that moment, never really praying before in my life, never really... Um, having a relationship with God, right? I had been to church with him and whatever. But in that moment, I was so desperate. And like I said, in and of myself, I could never get clean. I couldn't stop. But I was so tired physically, emotionally, mentally. I was done. And I remember my mom's words, like, don't come back to my house until you're ready to get clean. And I'm listening to this song and I'm crying. And I remember just praying, like, God, help me, help me. And looking back, you know, and in, in, in that moment, I didn't know what it was. But now looking back, it was the Holy Spirit, right? And it just came over me. And I picked up my Reeboks. I got my backpack. And I walked out the side door of that garage. And I didn't say anything to anybody. And I walked to my mom's house. I knocked on the door and I was like, I'm done. She packed a suitcase. And we literally went to Pasadena and I never went back. Wow. But in that moment, like God met me where I was, you know what I mean? And it's just so crazy because that's all it took. That's all it took. All those years of me fighting with my flesh, all it took was me being like, God, help me. And he's like, done, let's go. You know, because I, there was no way I could pick up my shoes in my backpack on my own before. There was no way, you know? Um, I think the crazy thing about that is that we always think that, that you have to have a mother that knows God or people are all constantly telling you about God. And, and that's the, you know, that's how he's going to touch you. And you didn't have no experience with God, no connection at all. And you just felt in your heart to cry out to him. I, I, I need help. Yeah. And he answered your prayer. And I think the biggest thing about that for me, for people, especially that listen to the podcast is like, it works. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it it truly works if you call upon his name and, and say, hey, I need help, you know, and you're, and you're sincere and you're just like, I'm done. I, I think that's the biggest thing for me because I think people think it has to be something. You're, you're in a garage with a bunch of, with a bunch of ga- gang members doing their thing and he comes all the way down and meets you where you're at. Yeah. And like I said, all those years, I think back like, if I would have done that from the very beginning, what would have happened, you know, but it is what it is now, you know, and I'm just, I'm grateful. But, um, 
yeah, I remember my, my uncle, he got out of jail for the last time. I was like 12, I think. And, um, he got saved when he was in jail. Nobody really knows what happened, what led him to that place. Um, but he was, he was out there too. And, um, he had a daughter the same age as me. And so on the weekends, like when he would get her, he would go to church and he would pick me up. And so that was the first time I had ever even been in church. And I remember, um, it's ironic, but we were crossing the railroad tracks right by where my husband and I have a house now. Um, but he had on crystal Lewis and music. I always say has, has gotten me through some of my darkest days. Um, and I remember being little and just loving worship music. And so he, I remember he ejected it out of his Corvette and he gave it to me as a cassette. And, um, you know, from there, little by little, I would go with him to church. And then later on, my mom started going to church. So that's kind of the only encounter that I ever really had. Um, but yeah, in that moment in that garage, like it was like my spirit knew, like I, I have to cry out, you know, and it's crazy because it's hard to explain to people unless you've actually had that encounter, right? right? It's something that you can't ever really put words on. It's supernatural. Um, like I said, like I, I was so broken and so alone and there was no way in, in me that I would have ever picked my stuff up and walked home. I couldn't do it. You know, even though I was so close, I couldn't do it. It's so crazy that you mentioned the encounter, you know, um, so many people in this podcast talk about the encounter and how important the encounter is. And and we've talked about it, you know, with, with Champ and, and Los and these guys that never had the encounter as kids being around church and how, how important it was to like, man, I finally had the encounter. And so many times I tell people you have to have the encounter with God. You really have to have that connection. Like you said, you can't explain it, but you know when it happens. Yeah. And I tell people, make sure if you're taking your kids to church, they have their own encounter with Jesus. That's just not you grabbing, taking them, and this is what we do. No. Yeah. They need to make sure that you have your own encounter. and Because the encounter stays with you. It, it, it always does. Everybody that's had the – Melissa talks about the encounter when she was a kid. And when she fell away when she was a teenager, she's like, I always had a little voice in my head. When I was doing bad or wanted to do bad, small, maybe not as loud as, you know, a saved person is, but just a little something in the back of my head because she says she had the encounter and it stays with you. Yeah. And I, and, and, and I, and I 100% agree with that. It's, it's something. And for everybody, it's different. And, yeah. and everybody, some people, it's instantaneous. Boom. Some people, it's a process. Um, you said you went to Pasadena and, and did you go to rehab? And yeah. was it a process for you? Or was it an instantaneous change? Um, I would say a little bit of both. So it was instantaneous in the fact of like that, just reaching out and getting help in general. That was like a, you know, obviously instantaneous. Um, we drove to, to rehab. I went to an all girls rehab. Um, and from there, that's when the process kind of began, you know, and I started to really dive into why I was doing what I was doing um, and really uncovering um, just the things that I had been masking pretty much my whole life, you know, um, and sitting down and getting raw with the therapist, getting raw with um, the other women that were in the house with me um, and just allowing God to um, come in and just kind of work on me, you know. Um, How important is that, though? 
Like I think people, e- even though they got change, right, and they, and they got they get off drugs or they start to start a new life, you still have to <laughs> encounter the problems, right? You still got to face those problems head on, right? How hard is that? Hundred um, percent, super hard. And I always tell people, um, getting off the drugs—that's the easy part, right? Not going back to the drugs, that's the hard part. And you not going back is going to depend on, one, your relationship with Christ, and two, you doing the work, right? Like a lot of times we expect God to just come in and miraculously just take everything from us. Like, no, he wants to see you do the work. How bad do you want this? You know what I mean? How bad do you not want to go back to that life? Okay, well, let's work on the reasons why you did that to begin with, you know? Um and it was the easiest part is getting saved. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's after the after yeah. part that's you got to face it. You got to wake up every day. You got to pray. You got to read. You got to live right. You got to do what's right. Yeah. That's the hard part. Yeah. Getting totally. saved is like easy. Yeah, exactly. And just like you were saying, too, about coming here, going to the gym, going to church, right? Going to rehab. Yeah, it was it was tough, you know, getting there and stuff. Um, and once I was there, I was like, OK, finally. Right. But then it hit me. I was like, oh, wow. Like I had my work cut out for me, you know, Um, but I did 90 days inpatient and then I did six months um, sober living. Um, I became a sponsor and was sponsoring another one. Which is tough Mm -hmm. because a lot of people don't last. Right. Yeah. They might do 90 days, but sober living is a whole nother, especially for six months. Yeah. People like think they can just, okay, I'm ready. Yeah. What made you stay so long? I think I was scared. I was scared. Um, I had a counselor in there. I'm still friends with her to this day, but um, she she was from a neighborhood, uh, La Puente, and she would always tell me, like, Mija, you can't go back to the same neighborhood that God pulled you from, right? And I'm like, yeah, but I've been in, like, every neighborhood. Like, just because I, I live go? in one of them. Yeah, <laughs> what, where am I supposed to go, you know? But I understood that because literally my drug dealer was two blocks away from my mom's house. And so I had that fear in me, like, I can't go back there because I'm going to use, you know, I'm going to relapse. Um, and my mom, God bless her, she, um, the sober living that I stayed in, it was still part of the rehab, but they had built a new facility. And it was cash only. They didn't take insurance. And so my mom literally paid the first month cash and then like refinanced her house to keep me in rehab or to keep me in sober living. Um, So your mom's a real one. Oh, yeah. She's a ride or die for sure. (laughs) Um, But yeah. And so I think when I when I did finally leave sober living, it was bittersweet, but I was ready. I was ready. I was. How did you know you were ready? Um, I wasn't really scared anymore. Like I said, I wasn't really scared. Um, and I remember just having the tools, you know, that I had gained from being in there, um, and still being able to go back and like, I would go back to Pasadena like twice, two or three times a week for meetings and just see people. Um, so I did that for a while, you know, um, just staying connected. So and then you became a sponsor. Yeah, I was a sponsor. What, what, what was that like? <laughs> uh, you know, it's just like church, like taking somebody under your wing and discipling them. It's kind of the same thing, you know? It, okay, so I do that. And sometimes it's frustrating. Oh, sometimes yeah. it's it's 
it's a letdown, right? You're like, man, and it, it, you, you just it, you you almost feel like you failed this person sometimes because they make mistakes or make the same mistakes. I mean, did you did you run to that like where you're just like, it's tough being a sponsor, man. It's just you have to have a different mindset, right? You got to get a mindset of I, I'm gonna help this person and they're gonna fail and I'm just gonna keep helping them because what is the rate? There's like a rate, right? For 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 relapsing, yeah, right? It's very high high right very very high yeah and in fact my first sponsee she did relapse uh, multiple times um but i think i saw so much of myself in her um and it's funny you know god will put people in our path that just i don't know you just have a heart for them yeah. you know and you so see yourself in them yeah there was a lot of moments like that where i would be like what are you doing <laughs> you know but I had to allow her to have her experience, you know, and just be there for her and guide her. And so, but yeah, it's definitely not for the week. <laughs> okay. So then you became a mother. I became a mother. Yes. To a son. To a little a hooper. Son. Yeah. Right. Thinks yeah. he's going to be in the NBA. I hear. <laughs> <laughs> that's his goal. <laughs> but uh, that seems to run in our family. There's <laughs> got, a, got a couple of cousins in, the, in our family that, that want to be hoopers. Uh, of course, I was one of them, but that dream was long, long <laughs> gone. <laughs> I can't even play no more. But uh, how did how did you become a mother? What, well, I know how you became a mother, but <laughs> you don't have to tell me the details. Um, so I actually met my son's dad while I was in rehab. He was a sponsor. Um, he was in the program too, um, which is a no no, right? It's a big no no. Okay, big no no. All right. Um. So at the time I, I, was, I watch intervention, that's why. I'm oh, okay. Right. So, no. you know, <laughs> um, at the time I was still in, I was still impatient. Um, and Friday nights we would have a cocaine anonymous meeting that outsiders were allowed to come. So there was men on the property. Again, we're in all girls rehab. So you see any man walk in and you're like, Whoa, there's testosterone in here, you know? <laughs> Um, and I remember I saw him and I was just like, oh, he's cute, you know, whatever. And he had a girlfriend at the time. And so flash forward, I get out of, um, sober living and he had broken up with her. And so I think we had run into each other at a meeting somewhere. It was in that whole group. Um, we started, um, hanging out, dating little by little. Um, and I remember I got to a point where I was like, I don't want to be with him anymore. You know, I was kind of over it. Um, and like a month later, I went back to his house. I got a new car and I thought, oh, I'm going to show him my new car, which is so stupid. When we had sex one time and I got pregnant. But the crazy part was when I first moved home from sober living, um, I ended up having to have emergency surgery. So I had two cysts and two cysts on my right ovary and an another cyst on my left. Long story short, I ended up having this, sur this surgery. And um, the doctor at the time was like, I know you're still young and you're not thinking about it, but the odds of you getting pregnant are, are very slim um, because she had to like cut into one of my ovaries. Okay, I'm like at the time I'm 24, I think, 25. And literally eight months later, I get pregnant without wanting to or trying, right? Again, God's will. Um and so I remember at that point, I'm like, great, I don't even want to be with this guy, but I'm pregnant. So I kind of went back and we tried to make it work. Um, I had Gavin. And at this point, he was like, my ex was like eight years clean and sober. So he had a lot of time under his belt. Um, 
he was working nights and obviously I started working during the day. So we rarely saw each other put a, a big strain on the relationship. And, um, I remember at one point I had gone out with some of my girlfriends just for like girl time and something that night told me like, I need to check his phone. So I end up checking his phone, find out he's cheating on me. It was a whole ordeal. So I'm left here with this baby, you know, and, um, shortly after that, he ended up relapsing on meth while he was in my house watching my son. Um, how, how does that happen? It was pretty crazy. I'm asking like, cause, cause the regular average person like myself that that's never done drugs and we think, okay, guys, eight years clean. How do you fall back into that? Yeah. It was really hard for me to like wrap my head around. That's was, a long time, right? It was a long time, a long time. Um, but I remember at this point we weren't together, but, um, for babysitting purposes and to save money, I was like, you know, two, two times a week, you come on your days off, stay here with him at the house and I'll go to work and I come home and you leave, right? Just to save us a couple days of babysitting. And that morning he showed up and I remember he was totally avoiding me. He wouldn't make eye contact with me. And I thought something's weird. I just, I felt off. And I knew at that point he had started drinking, right? I didn't know how heavily whatever. So I go to work and I'm sitting at work and it was like lunchtime and something in me was like, I I have to go home. I just felt it. And so I walked in the house and I will never forget this. My son, he wasn't even two. He was standing up at the coffee table and there was juice boxes spilled all over the coffee table. Like he had just gotten into everything. The back doors wide open. The The water hose is filling up his little pool. My son was obsessed with water at this point. And I'm looking around and I'm like, where is Raul? Like, uh, where is he? And I hear him talking and I'm like, what the heck? And that morning I had locked my bedroom door because I'm like, he doesn't need to be in my bedroom. There's no point, you know? So I'm walking down the hallway and my bedroom door's open and I'm like, he broke into my bedroom. So I'm standing in the doorway and he's on the phone with somebody talking to somebody and all of a sudden he turns and he looks at me and his eyes are like this big, just black. So I knew in that moment, I was like, oh my gosh, he's high and he's been home with my son, you know, so all these things. Yeah. And I remember being terrified. I was terrified to say anything to him at that point because I literally it was like I was looking at the devil himself like it was scary so I grabbed my son I went outside and I called my uncle and I was like you got to come over here because I don't know what to do he's in my house he's rummaging through my room I'm terrified you know um and from that day forward it's just been a nightmare with him so um to answer your question though I don't know I don't know how you go from being clean and sober that long and having a family to going right back to that. You know, it's hard. Did you ever get to a point in it, after you're sober where you thought about it? Yeah. So I ended up drinking after that. So I went through all that with my son's dad. Um, he literally put me through hell. Um, I ended up having to go to court, get full custody I will never forget that day. I was like so scared. I was by myself. I had nobody with me, no support, um, had no clue what was going to happen. Um, 
And at that point, I was working in an office, a construction office. And, you know, the girls would go out, have drinks here and there, no big deal, you know. And I would always tell myself, well, I have a problem with meth. I don't have a problem with alcohol. And so little by little, you know, over the years. That's, that's a lie, right? It's a big lie. Big lie that I bought for years, you know. Um because that's the that's the way of the world, you know. As long as you're not doing drugs and you're just drinking, it's fine. Everybody does it, yeah. you know. Ba- um, baby steps in the wrong direction. Yeah, yeah. And ultimately, like, that's what led to my actual, like, complete surrender to the Lord was my alcoholism. Um, but that was the start of it, was going through all of that with my son's dad. Um, again, feeling that, like, I, I had no control, right? And now I have this little boy that I have to take care of and be there for um, on my own, you know. How was your experience with your mother affecting your you Ugh, being a single mother? Big time, big time. I I look at my mom now and I'm like, she's an angel because, I mean, like I said, I never saw my mom cry. I never saw her mad, not at, not at the situation. You know, she would get mad at me, of course, but um, she never talked bad about my dad. Like, just a good woman, you know? And um, ultimately, going through all of this with my son's dad, he ended up getting clean and sober. My son was, like, five. And so little by little, he started to see Gavin again. And then 2020, he relapsed really hard again. Um, And at this point, Gavin's older. He's not little. When he was one and a half, he doesn't remember that. Now he knows. Now he knows. So now I'm faced with the same situation that my mom was ultimately, right? Like your dad is on drugs. He's not here. I don't know if you're ever going to see him again. So now all the things that you wish your mom would have done for you at that age, you ha- now are you doing that for Gavin? Yeah. So I remember praying and just asking God, like, what do you want me to do? You know, and I just felt in my heart, like, I have to be honest, as honest as I can with him, right? At this point, he's eight, yeah, like eight, seven, eight years old. And, um, you know, he he started questioning things like, where is my dad? Why isn't he here? And he witnessed a lot of stuff with with his dad. And um, I remember just being honest with him, like, you know, your dad has a problem and we got to just pray for him. And I remember just instilling that in him like pray let's pray let's pray and gavin ultimately went through a little rough patch too he started acting out in school had the principal calling me like hey what's going on with him this is not like him you know so he ended up having to see the school psychologist like twice a week for pretty much like a year that whole school year which really helped him and that's why i put him in basketball was to just kind of get his focus off of his dad and just focus on something positive. Um, We started going back to church, and I will never forget, I was on the 605 freeway with him coming home from work. And this was like during COVID time, so I don't think they were in school yet. So he was with me at the salon. And he was like, Mom, I want to find my dad. And I was like, okay. You know, I'm like sitting there thinking, like, what do I say to this? And he's like, I want to tell him about Jesus. Mm. And I remember in that moment thinking, like, yes, you know, like, I don't want him to have that resentment and that anger that I had 
which ultimately led me to doing so many bad things, you know? I don't want that for him. And so I constantly would tell him to, like, pray for him. And Gavin, like, what he's doing isn't because of you. He loves you. You know, your dad just, he has a lot of issues from when he was little that he hasn't dealt with. And that's the truth, you know? So I've tried for years to just be really open and honest with him. And I pray to God every day that that helps, you know, that it it keeps him away from wanting to seek other things outside of that and outside of God, ultimately. Yeah, I wanted to let you know that this podcast is brought to you by Elevate Ministries. Elevate Ministries is an authentic, passionate, and innovative church in the heart of Orange County, California. They strive to make their services welcoming and encouraging by intentionally engaging you in all senses to stimulate a spiritual hunger. If you're looking for a great church that's on a mission to change the world one person at a time, I encourage you to check them out at www.elevateministries.com and on Instagram at Elevate Ministries. Yeah, I think I think when we when we talk about God and faith and believing, I, I like what you said. How you you got counseling, how you and how you got counseling for your son. And I think sometimes we we don't think it's like we think it's like a taboo type of thing, right? Totally. Especially when we're, we're we're believers, right? We I had you know Vanessa in here, you know she she's a professional, you know she that's what she does, and we talked about the same thing and how people don't get help for those things. We just think that you know we can just serve God, which he's going to help us, but, but we have to still do the work with faith without works is dead. So we have to get help for those things and, 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 and address those things in our life. Cause we don't address those things. They end up coming back. We're tr- it's like burying alive stuff. You know, yeah. one day it's going to become unburied cause it's not dead, you know? And so I think that's great that, that he did that and that, that you recognize that right away. Like, this has got to be different now. We've got to change the course here. We're in the same boat, me and you, son. But yeah. now we have to change this a little bit. And with the Lord's going to help us. Yeah. So that was great. Yeah. And, and ultimately having those conversations with him, um, I remember when it all first started happening, I was breaking for so many reasons because a little girl in me could identify with the little boy in him, right? But now I'm his mom too, right? And so having those conversations and teaching him that no matter what he's dealing with, no matter how he feels, whether it's anger, whether it's pain, sadness, like take that to the Lord and he will help you, you know, like all of that can be removed, you know, and I remember one day just thinking because my son's dad didn't have his dad either. Right. So we're, we were two broken people trying to raise this baby. Yeah. Um, but I remember one day it just clicked where I was like, you know what? Every generational curse, it ends with my son. He will never abandon his children. He will never have children outside of marriage. He like all of that is gone. And it's stopping and starting with my son, you know, and I truly in my heart, I believe that. And I felt like the Lord put that on my heart to like, give me that, that reassurance. Like you're doing a good job, Nicole. It's, it's finished. It's done. All of that stuff. It's done. It's over. Like your son is not going to live the life that you lived or, or your, his dad, you know, it's, it's over. Um, 
And so now, you know, seeing where he's at and seeing the relationship that he has with my husband, like it's beautiful, you know, and I'm, I'm so blessed that, um, he has my husband to be there, to guide him, to read the word with him, to pray with him. Like there's things that my husband does with him that I can't, you know, and I think you've even talked about this, right? Where it's like as moms and and women, like there's only not, I don't want to say only so much, but there are certain things that we can do and there are certain things we can't, you know, my son's at that age now. It was like, God just orchestrated this perfectly where he knew like he's at this age where he needs that male figure. Right. And like my husband is amazing with him. And so I thank God for that. Like, even though my son had to go through all of that, like now he's in this place where he's safe. Yeah. I I think, you know, it's the mother's job to raise a boy from baby through boyhood. And it's the dad's job to raise him from boyhood to manhood. Yes. It's, 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 that's the order. You know what I mean? That's the correct order. And I'm not knocking single mothers out there because they, they do a fabulous job. But the reality, but the reality is there's, you recognized it. There, there's certain things that, and parts of him that you can't touch. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, we, I've talked about this with, with like Cam. His mom calls him. It's, it's, it's different, right? I call him when he was little. It's different. <laughs> it's, yes. It's way different. It's the, it's the dad voice. You know what I mean? And so, I, I think uh, him having that opportunity with with Anthony Champ, and I like to be called Anthony now. I always call him Tom, little Tom, but I can't call him that no more. <laughs> <laughs> um, having that relationship, I and mean, that was that was a godsend. And, and, and speaking of your husband, Champ, word, word on the street is you slid into his DMs after you seen him on the podcast. Is that true? No, that's not true. That is not true. No, he well, he wants people to believe that because he was the creeper, not me. Uh, this is what I hear, man. The, the, the podcast is moving in throughout. You know, God's using the podcast in, in miraculous ways, and kind of like I'm Chuck Woolery, you know, and I'm bringing people <laughs> together here. And you've seen his awesome testimony on the podcast, and the way I orchestrated that, and somehow God touched your heart, and then you just. Happen to slide in the DMs. Is that true? A little bit of it is okay, true. Okay, okay. A little, a little bit. bit. Thank you yes. for acknowledging yeah. the podcast and yes. how God uses this podcast. Yes. Well, okay. What's What's your side of the story, Nicole? Um. Oh, geez. <laughs> so we had met. Um. And and the weird thing is this is you guys are woodier people. Yeah. So we we met years ago. Okay. Mutual friends. Um, cause you're crazy with your people, you know what I mean? So you guys would, I would think that you guys have met yeah, before. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We, yeah. We were both crazy at one point around crazy people. But, um, the last time I remember seeing him, we were at a bar in Whittier. There was a group of us and I remember thinking like, dang, this guy's messed up, right? Like he can barely keep his eyes open. And I'm like, okay. Um, didn't really think anything of it. You know what I mean? Um, Flash forward, that was like what, 2019? I want to say 2018, some 2019, something like that. And um, I, so 2022, I had a situation happen at a bar um, that ultimately brought me to my knees, surrendered, went back to church, signed up for baptism. Like, good. I was done. I was 
bloody knuckled tears like, Lord, I am done. I don't want to ever be with another man in my life. I don't care if I have to sit in my room every day as long as I have you and my son and my family. I'm good. Like it, it brought, it scared me so bad. So I had just signed up for baptism and I don't know, it was a couple days later. I went out with one of my girlfriends who he knows and she posted a picture of us. And so my page at the time was public and I start seeing all these likes and likes and likes. I'm like, who is this guy? And so I go and I see it and I'm like, this is that guy. Like, and he had just got baptized. So I'm like, what are the odds of this? You know? And so we kind of started talking and it was like a few weeks before the podcast. Did you ask yourself, did he really get baptized? You know what I mean? If he's liking all your pictures, Nicole, that should be a red flag (laughs) right there. You know what I mean? I mean, it was... Maybe maybe it was a process. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? For both of you, it was a process. All right, let's. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll give you a chance. Let's, <laughs> it, it turned out good. Yeah, yeah. So um, we started talking, and then. Um, but did you slide into his DMs? That's what I want to know. I did. Okay, I but did, he liked so, all your pictures first. Yes. Okay, so, so he's he not telling the whole. It. He's not telling the whole story here. It sounds good, like oh, she slid into my DMs. Yeah. But he's not telling the story that he liked all your pictures first. That's. That's a little bit different. Yeah. That gives the girl the right to slide into your DMs. And what's crazy is normally I would never (laughs) do that, right? I would never do that. But I remember being so, like, in awe. I remember seeing the the picture of him being baptized, and I'm like, what the heck? So you get transformed, Yeah. right? Finally surrender. That's it. It's it's done. I'm, I'm, I'm giving it all now, Lord. And then you see him, which you kind of knew the circles he ro- he 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 ran with, and you're like, okay, is this for real? Yeah. Okay. I remember just like, oh my gosh, you know. And so, I messaged him and I was like, hey, I don't know if you remember me, right? Because the last time I saw him, like I said, he was like on another planet. Um, but I literally just signed up for baptism. I saw you just got baptized. Like it's crazy, you know. It's beautiful to see what what God's doing in your life, and so. We kind of just started going back and forth. And then I think it was like a week or two later, he you aired the podcast. And he was like, hey, check this out, you know. And so I started listening to it. And it was long. So I remember yeah. I listened I listened to half of it. And the other half, I was in Target. I will never forget this. I was in Target in the clothing section. And he started talking about his dad and the passing of his dad. And I was just a mess, tears just running down my face. And at this point, I didn't really know much about him. I didn't know his situation with his past, um, with his family, none of it. You know, I just knew him from social settings, which is very surface. And so I felt like that podcast really opened a gate of like, wow, like even though maybe our circumstances were different, like a lot of the pain was the same. A lot of the rejection, the abandonment, whatever it was, was the same, right? And I remember like always most of the guys that I would date after I got clean, none of them could ever relate to the things that I went through, right? If anything, a lot of them were like, ooh, like you used to use meth, you know? And so I remember thinking like, wow, this guy, like he gets it. You know, and so from there, I was more open to conversating with him because I felt like, okay, he's been in some of the ugly places that I've been. He's obviously been transformed, saved, surrendered. 
Um, and so we just kept talking and I remember he kept inviting me to his connect group and I'm like, I don't want to go to your connect group. Right. You already had your church. I already had my church. Yeah. I was good. Yeah. And then, well, I thought. So you were going to like a, like a, a uppity bougie church and you were like, why do you want to go to reach in Paramount? Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't want to go down there. Yeah. Well, and the congregation that the I, hood. yeah, the <laughs> congregation <was> <laughs> that I came from, I love them over there. <laughs> it was huge, you know. Right. So going from this huge church, obviously that operates very differently. Um, I was like, no, like I'm good. It's you tough. Know? It's tough. You know, you get comfortable for yeah. sure. It was an adjustment, yeah. you know. And every church that I had been into prior was nothing like reach, right? And so, um. When he first asked me to his connect group, I'm like, finally one night I was like, what what else am I going to do on a Friday night? So I agreed. I went and I loved it. Everybody was so welcoming. Everybody was so friendly. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is cool. And then pretty soon we had the conversation where he's like, well, if we're really going to date and ultimately like we're not wasting time, like you have to go where I go. You know, the, the woman follows the man. And I'm like, not here, buddy. <laughs> not happening so he's telling he's trying he's granted he, he he's probably doing the right he's doing the right thing right it, it is the right thing but you as a woman that's been burned most multiple times like this fool's not telling me where to go yeah right yeah, totally totally not fool but you know <laughs> but um I remember I was like, you know what? I'm going to watch it online first. I'm going to see how it is online, get a feel for it, and then we'll go from there. And so I watched it online, and the worship came on, and I was totally taken aback. The music again, right? The music again. Like, if you want me to like anything, put on some good music, and it, I'm sold. My first tattoo, he always makes fun of it, is music notes down my back. I got it in a... In a crack motel out of a suitcase. The guy had a, a suitcase thing, you know. Every but, white girl's favorite tattoo. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But um, that's, music is my thing, you know. And the church that I was going to, they had good worship, right? It wasn't bad. Um, but when I heard the worship at Reach, I was like, whoa. Like, this is what I've always wanted. I've always craved this. Yeah. And then Pastor Omar came on, and obviously after that, I was like, "Great preacher, I'm good." Yeah, and a lot of his preaching style um, is very similar to my old pastor, so I felt like right there, I was like, "I'm, I'm good. I'm in a good place, right?" And so I went with him one Sunday, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. Gavin had kind of a hard time because he had just kind of gotten rooted at our old church. He had made friends. Um, he was going to start doing like the kids. Min, um, Bigger program, media. right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, yeah, the way they have it there is just crazy, but there's, it's a bigger church, you right. know? So it took him a while to adjust. Um, but now, I mean, he will get mad at us if we miss church. He, it's a whole crazy. thing. Yeah, where I'm like, I'm scared to tell him, like, we're not going to church tonight, you know, because he just like, no, I got to go to church. Can you find me a ride? <laughs> you know? So was there any was there any red flags because you both used at one time? Are you did you have any like hesitation there? Like, oh, I don't know if this is a good idea. We I, I tried this before and I, I know he's saved and delivered, but he used to and I had a problem, too. Is is, is there any red flags or you no? No. And I think. As cliche as it sounds, like that whole, um, like when you know, you know, you know, um, I just, from the very beginning, our very first date, I just knew, 
right? And I felt safe and I've never felt safe with any man ever, 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 ever. And it was almost like this weird comfortability. Like I'm comfortable, but like, why am I comfortable? And then after that, I remember like we were both in the beginning, we were both praying like separately, like, Lord, if this is not of you, take it away. Right. And God was just like, no, I'm going to show you like, and it was just boom, 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 boom from there, you know? And even now, I mean, we've only been together for like a year and a half and God has just opened so many doors that it's like, again, in and of ourselves, we could never do that. Right. And so it was just confirmation after confirmation that the Lord was like, no, this is, this is from me, you know? And on my end, I felt like that final surrender of me crying out, like, you know what, Lord, I'm done. It was almost like I could hear him saying like, finally, Nicole, finally, like I already met you in that garage. Why didn't you stay with me? You know, why did you go back out there? You know, and from that point forward, I can't even tell you the blessings that have come from that and over and over of God just reminding me like you deserve this. This is what you've always deserved, but I've been waiting for you to give it to me. You know, it's so crazy that you say that because I've been on this trip of being, you know, the Beatitudes and the first one is being poor in spirit. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what does that mean? Like, I really was like focused on that the last few weeks. I've been talking like this. I've been telling this, this like every day I've been running into this. It's crazy that you say that because, you know, we, to be poor in spirit every day, that, that means not just when we're at our, in the garage at the lowest point, but when we're doing good, yeah. when, we, when things are going together, I'm, I'm still need to be poor in spirit. I'm still, I still need to recognize that I'm, I have insufficient funds in my spiritual bank account. Every day. Right? And I was like, that's where I want to be. Like, I can't wake up unless I pray. Yeah. I can't wake up unless I talk to God. I can't, you know, I can't wake up and, and, and not want to read or not want to do what's right or not want to check my thoughts or not want to check what I'm listening to. Like, Lord, I want to be insufficient because when I am insufficient, then I am totally dependent on him. On you. Yeah. And that's it. Yep. Yeah, totally. Every day. And that's my husband and I talk about this all the time because we both, even though we wake up at different times, we both wake up and we read and pray every day, you know, and granted there's days where it doesn't happen. And those days that it doesn't happen, you can tell it doesn't happen, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, um, we both pray too. Like I, I don't ever want to get to a place where I'm so comfortable that I forget where God's brought me from. Right. right? And so again, being poor in spirit every day and being reminded like in my flesh, I'm, worth nothing you know um and constantly praying like god just um help me to be more like you and less like me yeah. like i don't want to be like nicole you know i want to be like christ um yeah and just every day denying that that's flesh. crazy huh yeah so so you bring champ around your family yeah big heart out there loving guy but the exterior is a little rough yeah and what are they thinking? Yeah. Um, and I only say that because I'm sure when you brought he brought you around, you're a beautiful woman. You don't look like you're on meth for four years and doing drive-bys and in garages <laughs> and walking the streets barefoot, 
right? You, you don't look that way. I was like, she doesn't look. I remember Melissa. Oh, she's she's a little gangster. She she. I was talking to her. Yeah, I like her. And I was like, she's gangster. You're like, no she's way. Like, I was like, no, she's not. And we, I think we laughed about this when we went we went out yeah. to eat the other day, right? And I was like, you don't look like a person that I would say is on drug, but he does. <laughs> <laughs> He's rough. <laughs> It used to be Uncle Louie was the roughest look looking. Uh, that's probably Chap. Yeah, yeah for <laughs> but sure. You bring him around, and are they like, like eyebrows up, or what do they say? Because once you get to talk to him and get to know him, you know he's he's a great guy. Yeah, yeah. My family, um, most of them, I think, if not all of them, they're not really judgmental. Um, I am the only person in my family that has a biracial kid. Um, everybody's white. Um, so I think me bringing him around, they weren't too shocked, right? I think if it was one of my cousins bringing somebody like that around, they would have been (laughs) like, what's happening, you know, but, um, they all know my past. Um, and I think like that, just getting to know him and who he is, they love him to death, especially my mom. She's constantly like spoiling him, buying him things. I'm like, oh gosh, it's great to have a good mother-in-law. Yeah. It's fun. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so you guys get married. I was there. Beautiful ceremony. Thank you. Great ceremony. I mean, it was just champs come so far, and to see you guys married and happy, it, we we had a great time. It was fun. Um, but how is life married after the honeymoon? You know, after after Hawaii and all these not you know, and and when you really have to settle down and. And, and, and champ has to be a, a father and you got to be a wife and, and, and you're trying to make this family work. Cause it's, it's now it's a whole different ball game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was in the beginning, it was an adjustment. It was a really big adjustment. Um, right after our wedding, I got COVID really bad. He was out of state working in Arizona. Um, so it was like right off the bat. I mean, literally we just got married and it was like, boom, 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 you know, all these hurdles. But, um, I would say the first few months, it was a lot of adjusting, a lot of getting used to each other's personalities. Um, again, we had bought a house, but I wasn't living in it until we were married, which great, right? Beautiful. But again, all this time has gone by and we've never actually lived with each other. So now we're with each other 24 seven. Um, and so it was just getting used to that and adapting to our quirks, our personalities, what things upset you, what don't you like? Um, Typical stuff. Yeah. Typical stuff. And then obviously throwing Gavin in there and he's done a great job at like navigating through parenting and there's days where I'm like he's really hard on himself and I'm like you need to give yourself grace because you've never been a dad you know and now overnight you're a dad to a 10 11 year old that's a lot you know I I try to put myself in his shoes sometimes and I'm like if this was the other way around I'd probably be going crazy you know but um he's done a really good job at like being there for Gavin and and just learning to be patient and give Gavin grace, you know, because Gavin's going through it too. So the the plus for Champ is he had a great dad. Yeah, yeah, that loved him, showed him. So I I think we we we've me and him talked about that a few times, and I was like, hey man, what would your dad do? You know yeah. what I mean? And it's pretty like, and then sometimes he's like, my dad would have smacked me in the back <laughs> of the head. <laughs> and, yeah. I'm laughing. and I was like, not that part of your dad. Yeah. 
what about the loving dad that comes and talks to you and prays with you? And so, uh, you know, and, and I'm the same way. You know, you, you think about, you know, okay, well, what did my dad do? What did I, what did I like and what I didn't like? You know, yeah. or how can I improve upon my dad? You know what I mean? That's, I think that's the, that's the goal for, for us. You know yeah. what I mean? You said the, 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 the curse is, is broken for your son. And I think as fathers, you know, we, we become fathers and, I think we we can easily look at my dad didn't do this or my dad didn't do that, but I I try to look at okay, how can I improve? What I didn't like, let's let me improve upon that. And what and what I did like, yeah, great, I'll take that too. Yeah, you know what I mean, I that's think that, good. I think that's the that's the plus to so every generation gets a little bit better. Yeah, and and I see Gavin and he and, and he has. You know, Granny Apples over there, and Auntie Apples, his 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 grandma, and I'm like, oh, she's just loving that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which is great. So, yeah. I think what a what a a great connection. And what? How does your life turn out like this? God, that's it. You know, that's why I tell people. I'm like, I there's days where I trip out. Like, I'll take Gavin to school. He's obviously at work, and I'm at home, and I'm looking around our house, like whoa it's crazy you yeah, because know? you guys are champ drives a nice car i don't know what kind of car you has but I, I know he has a nice ride you have your house beautiful dog yeah. <laughs> a son and a home uh you guys are involved in your church what shouldn't have been is now yeah happening yeah and it's crazy um i i remember this so i turned 33 and I remember now obviously knowing that it was God, but just this thought of when you turn 37, you're going to, you're going to then enter the best years of your life. And every birthday after my 33rd birthday, I would be excited for the next year because I'd be closer to 37 and I could never understand why, why that age, why that number, why, what's going to happen. I had no clue. I turned 37 last November and we got engaged like two weeks before I turned 37. Wow. And then from there, you know, we get engaged three months later, we're married. We bought a house two and a half, three months after dating. Like that does, that just doesn't happen no. by itself. Not for two people on drugs from Whittier. No, no. you this know, doesn't, this doesn't go down like and that. And not only that, but we bought a house when the market was insane. Like people couldn't, you couldn't buy a house if you had the cash for it. You know what I mean? And not only that, but we're in East Whittier where it's like nice. We're tucked in this nice, cute little community. People walk by and they're waving, walking their dogs. And it's just nice, you know? And I'm like, I look around and I'm like, God, you are so good. You are so good because I deserve none of this, right? But the Lord is like, no, you do, Nicole. You do. So I'm going to bless you, you know? And I truly believe that like, our obedience and like us putting God first and foremost, um, individually and together in our marriage, um, that has played a big role too, you know, and that's something that I wish I would have known earlier on in life, right? Like how to be obedient to God and sleeping around is not that, you know? And so when we first started dating, that was a conversation we had, like, we're not willing to compromise. Like he had gotten baptized. I had gotten baptized. It was a serious thing. Like it wasn't just me being dunked underwater for me to come back up and go back to living how I was living. Like we didn't kiss until our wedding day, you know, because we didn't want that temptation of, 
um, those thoughts and those feelings of things that weren't godly, right? And so we waited, and a lot of people didn't understand that, but I truly believe that now this place that God has brought us from is a direct a direct result of that, right? And so I always share that with people, like, just stay obedient to the Lord and watch what He does, mm. you know, because it's, it's wild. It's crazy. It's crazy. So crazy. And then you and then you're you have your own business. Yeah. Which that has been, you know, just like anything, an uphill battle for sure. <laughs> but um again a blessing, right? Like to come from where I've come from to now like I make my own schedule. I can pick and choose what clients I wanna take. Um, I can take off as much time as I want to take off. Like it's it's beautiful. From a beauty school dropout. Yeah. Drinking. Yeah. To owning your own salon. Yeah. I mean, it's got to be God. When I look at Champ, it's God. Yeah. You know what I mean? It, it, it's, and we could, you know, people always say, I wish, you know, you said you, you, you wish. I, I just think that everybody has their, it's their time. And then we all could say, we wish we did this. Mm-hmm. We wish we did that. But I think within God's timing, and God, of course, always goes, I told you. And yeah. he's the only one that can really say that, right? He's yeah. the only one that can really say, I told you. Yeah. But in, in the end, I think it, it, it all works out for the best when we finally surrender to God. Yeah, that's that's it. That is it. Because, I mean, like that, I had that encounter, right? And after that, I was clean and sober for four years. And then little by little, I started drinking. And in those times that I was drinking, I was going to church. I would go to church on Sunday morning, and then i go to the bar right after. You know, Wednesday, sometimes I would go, sometimes I wouldn't. But... um. I thought it was okay. I thought it was okay for me to be in the bar and be mingling and doing all these things and then going to church. I was I was still saved, you know? But it's like I wasn't surrendered. Right. My life was not I was not surrendering. Your life was still your own. Yeah. Not God's. I was still running on self will. I was still doing what Nicole wanted to do. You know, and ultimately, time and time again, there were so many destructive moments where there was a point where I was smoking two packs of cigarettes a day for like 15 years right and I remember one day I had been drinking all day all day and I was on like almost three packs of cigarettes in a matter of like nine hours and I fainted I fainted at my friend's house and from that point forward I was like okay I'm done smoking cigarettes but I continue to drink you know and it was like that's how I lived my life for so long like well I'll cut this out I'll get rid of this all it was never me fully surrendering everything You know, like, God, I don't want this anymore. I don't want it because without you, I'm nothing and I'm miserable, you know? And it was like that moment that I actually surrendered. My life has been so beautiful, so fruitful, so blessed, happy, like pure happiness, not fake, not me putting on a mask, like to show everybody like, oh, I'm fine. You know, like this is genuine, you know, and, and that doesn't come from anywhere else but God doesn't so good what a great story thanks i appreciate you coming out thank you i appreciate you asking me i i really enjoyed getting to know you i mean you're part of the family now yeah you're stuck with me now i know (laughs) better you than champ yeah oh that's good (laughs) i appreciate it thank you what's your advice to women let's say single mother out there or anybody that's just str- struggling. 
and not willing to surrender it all to God. What is your advice to them? Um, definitely get with women who are going to pray for you, who are going to hold you accountable. I think that's been a huge thing in my walk with God. Um, I never had that before. Right. So even in moments when I do struggle, because I do still struggle, um, I know I have a grip of females that I could call at all hours of the night and they're going to be like, all right, sis, I'm going to pray for you. Let's pray. Or they're going to call me in the morning. Hey, how are you doing? Do you need me to come over? Let's go to lunch. You know what I mean? And keeping women in your circle who are walking the path of God. They're not out at bars. They're not drinking. They're not sleeping with a different dude every weekend. Like getting rid of all of that and just allowing God the space in your life to bring the people in that he wants to be there. Um, and for single mothers, like don't look for love. You know, I remember so many times trying to look for this perfect man and this perfect dad for my son and and it never worked out because again I was running on self-will you know so just allowing God to just fully come in and just giving him everything you know letting go of all of that expectation and all of your wants and needs and allowing him to orchestrate every little detail of your life and it'll blow your mind you know it'll really blow your mind so good Thanks. thank you thank you you know me and Cam do one more thing no yeah, we do one more thing before we... It, it's called the Furious Five. Oh, jeez. And we ask you five furious questions. Okay. Okay? Very easy. Okay? Question number one on the Street Gospel Furious Five. What is, as a salon owner, what is your biggest pet peeve with your clients? When they don't sit still. When they don't sit still. So I have a lot of for, for guys, I see that. For women, you know, their hair is whatever. It, it doesn't matter. They can move a little bit. But what what does that do? I have some clients where I will literally be taking a section of their hair and they're, they can't talk without moving their head. And so I'm like trying to weave <laughs> and trying to get the section, you know. And I'm like, I'm getting dizzy just trying to keep up with their hair. And it that's probably my biggest pet peeve for sure is just them not being able to sit still (laughs) question number two on the street gospel furious five word on the street is that you used to be a hooper yeah i did really yeah you were a baller from sixth grade until my senior year of high school i had to quit because i was in a really bad car accident which that ultimately led to other things too but um yeah all every female in my family except my mom all played basketball. What position did you play? Um, point guard or forward. Point guard. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So you got a little bit of handles. Yeah. Well, not now. Oh. Um, so when you see <laughs> Gavin, are you? I mean, you're probably giving him more pointers than Champ is. Then no, Champ does really well with him. But I will take credit for like his initial start in basketball. You know, I would be the one out there playing with him and taking him to practice and signing him up and all of those things. Um. And just instilling kind of confidence in him, you know, and boosting him up. But Champ Champ does the dirty work now. All so. right. I coach Champ. Yeah. <laughs> Question number three on the street, Gospel Furious 5. What does Champ like to eat and what do you cook for him? What does he like to eat? He's a snacker. 
So Champ is a big snacker. He loves to graze. Like, we'll have food <laughs> in the fridge, and he will be in the pantry eating the chips and the cookies and the candy oh, and all the that's, things. That's me, too. Yeah. Do you cook for him? Um, I try my best to cook. It's a little crazy with work, but we kind of go hand in hand. Like, some okay. days I'll cook, some days he'll cook. Um, Does he like your cooking? Yeah, okay, I think good, so. Okay, good, good. said, yeah. Okay. Yeah. She's like, yeah, I make great sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> that was yeah. one thing. Melissa, she only had to cook like two different, two things. And I was fine with that. You know what I mean? It was like, okay, if you cook these two things, we're good. Yeah. I- I'll live with you. We're fine. So that's good. Yeah. No, we, we usually will make it work. Sometimes I'll meal prep for the week just because I know it's going to be crazy. Like if we're like right now with the holidays, it's crazy for me. So I try to meal prep, have stuff ready in the fridge. That way it's easier for both of us. Just grab it, warm it up. Um, You know, and there's other days where I'll actually cook. There's days where he'll barbecue. So we just kind of work from there. Okay. Question number four. What is a hobby that you do that nobody knows? Take a lot of naps. Oh, you're a napper. (laughs) So we got a grazer and a napper. This sounds like a fun house here, man. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, I would say that or I mean not so much going to the gym lately, but I do love going to the gym. That too. Okay. Naps. Yeah, naps. I wish I had time for naps. I know. I try like if I have a long day, if I have a gap in between my clients, I'll go lay down for like 30 minutes. Oh yeah. Those are great yeah. naps. Yeah. You know the the key is to have your feet elevated yes. above your body. Yes. I have to because I'm on my feet all right. day, so I'm like oh, So yeah. even if you even if you sleep for 10 minutes, they say if your feet are above your 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 the rest of your body, it's going to feel like you rested like for 30 minutes. Interesting. Yeah. I read that. That's good. So I haven't really tried it too much because I there's nowhere really to do that around here. <laughs> Last question of the Street Gods with Furious Five: Where do you see yourself in five years? Um, praying for a baby. So hopefully a baby somewhere in those years. Um, honestly, like I'm where I want to be right now. You know, so other cool. than yeah, other than. Obviously, being a mom again would be a huge blessing. Um, but yeah, I mean, we have the we have the house. I have my business. He's very well off at his job. We're happy. I mean, it it doesn't really get better than that, you know. So but good. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate you coming out, Nicole. Thanks. What a great story. Thanks, cousin. Cousin Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and thanks for taking champ. Taking him on because I I don't know if there was a if there was a woman out there for him, you know what I mean. <laughs> Apple's always tells me I'm so glad he's yours now. <laughs> I, I'm gonna I'm gonna put him on the spot right now. So and I'm laughing at this one because I, I totally got him because he, I remember he was he was telling me they wanted to have uh, they want I'm gonna get him right now. And I, because we're li- we're like each other in this way, and I'm not gonna lie. And I know you're like Melissa in this way too. So he he we were talking one day, and he started telling me they want they want to have a small group, you know, connect group at the house. And and I you know now that you're settled down, you're a little bit older. Like when we were young, connect group at the house it was fun. 
So then, then, so I was like, man, look, champ, if you don't want to do it, you know, I get it. Just, just tell them you don't want to do it. And I think it was about three weeks later, and I see champ leading the connect group at the house. And I was like, what happened? And I was like, well, I was like, I felt bad. Like, I'm over here giving them bad advice. Like, hey, if you don't want to do it, just be honest with them. Tell them yeah. you don't want them, you know, let's do it at somebody else's house. I go, that's what I would do. Three weeks later, he's up there. Yeah. I'm like, what the heck? What happened here? What happened? He did so good, too. I was so <laughs> proud of him. I think it 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 was just a lot to take on. You know what I mean? And I think we both can agree that, like, God, our house is just set up for that. It's set up for people. I know. I, when I saw when I see the videos, I'm like, this is a pretty wide area. It's, like, perfect Bible study house, connect group house. Yes. Like, okay. Gatherings. Yes. Like, fellowship. Yeah. And... I really believe, like, God blessed us with that house for a purpose, you know, and we had been praying about it, and he was kind of hesitant, I think, just because maybe insecurity or doubt within himself, but um, I was so proud of him, and, like, that first night, you could tell he was a little nervous. He did great, and then the second week, he just blew me away. I remember I was sitting there, and I'm just, like, watching him teach, and I'm like, that's my husband. Nice. You know, like I'm so proud of him because I know he kind of fought through that. Like, am I ready? Am I capable? Am Are people going to look at me and think I'm not good enough or I haven't been saved long enough? Like all of those things right. were going through his mind, you know? And then on top of that, you have 60 people in your house wrecking everything. The kids are <laughs> maniacs, you know, but it was beautiful, and so I'm glad that I'm glad that he said yes at the end. I'm glad I'm glad he said yes too. I mean, it, it it's a good thing, and it's always I always tell couples it's a we must always tell them it's a great thing to serve together to do something together. Obviously, you probably do some stuff separately, but to do something together, it just brings you closer to the Lord. It brings you closer to the Lord together. So I think yes. it's a great thing. Yes, that's how it is. We both serve in um, the kids ministry at church together. Fun stuff. Fun stuff. <laughs> appreciate you coming out. Thank you. Hey, thank you, everybody out there. We appreciate you. Be t- be sure to tune in to the Street Gospel Podcast, YouTube, Spotify, every podcast platform. Share it with your friends. We love you. We're out. Peace. <laughs>